Hello and welcome to Crux Investor. Today we're going to be speaking with Daniel Major of GoVX Uranium. Now we caught up with Daniel as recently as last Wednesday, but through popular demand, there have been a few additional questions which people want us to cover off. And Daniel was kind enough to agree to do a quick interview with us this morning. So good morning, Daniel. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. We've had a lot of communication through YouTube, through Twitter, etc., about your interviews. They've been extremely popular. Um, people have enjoyed um, the frankness with which you, you know, tackle subjects. So if we may, I want today to be about numbers, okay, about cash, shares, numbers. So I've gone through some of the press releases and a lot of this information is in your various disclosures. So it is available for people to see there too. But if you don't mind just helping us go through a few topics. So I'm going I'm to start with the um, settlement of the uranium bond with Toshiba. This was May last year, so I'm going back a year. So can you just sort of explain why you did that and what was the impact of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, Toshiba actually became a, sh a lender to the company back in 2012. Um, Toshiba at the time was very strong to the Iranian market. They wanted to become an investor. They wanted offtake from GovX. So we had a $30 million cash loan from them, uh, which was bond A, and there was bond B, which was a 200,000 pound uranium loan. Uh, we got rid of the cash loan in 2014 by converting it equity when we went to the IPO on the CSE. That left us the 200,000 pounds uranium. I sold that uranium at about $35 a pound in the good days. Um, and we used that to fund the exploration. The strategy for Toshiba then changed in sort of 2017, et cetera, where they had gone through a whole bunch of issues of their own, not just related to the uranium market, um, but the sort of bankruptcy of uh, Westinghouse really prompted them to clean up their whole portfolio. So. Toshiba across the company, uh, because they'd had accounting fraud as well going on with revenues being reported incorrectly, decided to clean everything off their balance sheet that had any chance of risk of any kind. So we saw this as um, an opportunity to sit down with Toshiba and agreed that we would remove the B bond um, as a risk item from them. We sat down and negotiated it. And effectively, there was about 390000 thousand pounds of uranium was due to them it was it was a 12 percent per annum interest in uranium was how we had to repay it so we did a settlement at the time of the settlement i think we valued it at about 8.2 million dollars and we agreed to settle it for four and a half million dollars um it was a pretty pretty good deal um if we were still holding it um, I think at the beginning of the year, it would have been worth about $12 million. So, you know, it, it was leverage to the uranium price. So we saw it as a great opportunity to get rid of a debt on the balance sheet that was securitized against our Nigerian assets at a marked discount to the price. They, uh, did they drove that, I guess? They needed to clean up. They, they wanted to get a resolution. Um, we had approached them as well, saying we want to get a resolution because we saw that their strategy was changing and therefore we you know, had a, a partner there that really didn't want to be there any longer, um, simply. And not because they didn't like our project, it was just, they just really had changed completely their strategy on, on nuclear because they were disposing of Westinghouse. Govind 
sold some shares last year back in October. Um, yep. he, he gave his reasons, but you know, if you can kind of go through those again for the people who kind of missed out the first time around. Uh, yeah, and I say pretty much the same comment I've had. Look, Govan got those shares 10 years previously in 2007. I mean, they were illiquid all the way to the 2014. Uh, Govan had a requirement for cash. Uh, he needed a liquid asset that he could use. Uh, he sold some of his shares. He still holds the major by far the majority of his shares he's still holding on to um, and has no intention of, of reducing his stake. In fact, he just bought some shares the other day um, in the private placement. So, you know, Govin is a strong proponent of this project. He really believed in it when he came in and he's still in the same position. He, it's one of these wonderful things that, you know, sometimes you do have to sell shares for personal reasons. Yeah, and I, th I, th I think that's, it's, it's probably a bit unreasonable to expect someone to be illiquid all through their investment. 11 career. years, you can't sell a single share. Yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's difficult. I, but the fact that he's buying, uh, again, in a small tranches at the moment, I guess, is um, yes. testament to the fact he st still likes this project. Okay, I'm, I'm going to move on to, if I may, the, um, the private placement, uh, which he announced in December. It was a one million yeah. private placement. Um, can you talk us through that? We always try and keep the coffers just full enough to keep us going. Uh, we don't like to overfill our coffers um, because we always see the upside value. Um, the December one was a balance of risk as well. We were waiting for Linkwood to start their repayments. We right. need to make sure that those repayments were coming. We knew that we were negotiating with them on how they were going to pay. And we'll come back to that. I'm sure you'll have a question on that. Yes. It was a very small placement just to make sure that, you know, we didn't, want to put all our eggs into one basket and then suddenly found that we had a problem. Um, we did a more recent placement. That was really because we believe now that the uranium market is starting to improve. Um, we need to have enough money to be able to get on, do the things in the feasibility study that need to be done. Um, it was done. In fact, the interesting one about the last placement, we started getting the book filled up at 12 cents. Um, we finally did the placement at 17 cents. So yes, it ultimately was at a discount, but only on the last two days. Um, so actually, if that last move hadn't occurred, we'd been announcing a placement that had been done at a premium to the price that we're doing it. Uh, and it was priced, you know, at the same price we've done it before. Yes, there is a warrant linked, but it's a pretty aggressive warrant. I mean, if you explain that, because I, I think you, you you talk about it again in the in the release, but if you could explain that. Yeah, the way we're doing, we've, yes, there is a warrant, but it's 21 cents US. You also got to remember that we, we price our warrants in US, not Canadian. So yes, it's a 17 cent Canadian price. Um, we did 21 US and then that's for one year. The second year it then climbs to 24 and then to 28. So it's ratcheting up as well pretty fast um, to get, to, you know, to incentivize people to bring the cash in as quickly as possible. Okay, that's quite an interesting point to just accentuate the fact that you know you're you're, you're priced in Canadian, but the warrants are in US. So there's a bit of bit of difference there, clearly. Yeah, correct. Okay, and you know people are always going to be concerned about dilution. We're an exploration development company, end of story. We have no revenue stream, so right. we have got to be sensible about money raising. Money needs to be raised to run the company and move the project forward. What we did, you know, back in 2013, for example, we had 130 people operating in Niger. We shut it down to eight. So as quickly as we saw we could cut costs, we have cut costs. The strategy that we've always had here is reducing the amount of expenditure we got 
but by, but not going to the point where some companies have done and do nothing. We don't think that's in the best interest of shareholders either. So our focus is one, we did the deals, for example, for Zambia and Mali, because we saw that as a great opportunity to bring those projects in. In the case of Zambia, then we did the second deal and we saw that massive synergy benefit to put the PEA out for there. And at Madawella, I'm focused completely on the feasibility study on changing it. So we've got some really interesting results coming back on, you know, the back end of the project was initially going to be a solvent extraction plant by spending a small amount of money from the money we've raised. We've proven that there's a new IX technology out there that allows us to replace the whole SX process, bringing our operating costs down. Now, we obviously can't tell the market what the results are because we don't know fully yet. And there are 41. 3101 rules we have to follow as well mm -hmm. but that's kind of what we we raise the money for to make sure that you know we're adding value but only just raising enough to keep us going as long as we need to the spot price is the main determinant of that at the moment clearly yeah um however we we had a big long conversation about geopolitics and the economics last week yep. and you know people should refer back to that video um you you know, you are hoping the spot price goes back up and it will start affecting positively the, the equity component, the, the share price, which yeah. is driving everyone here. But as far as dilution, you're doing your utmost to keep costs down is what I'm hearing, uh, yeah. make the FS more economic. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, what we're trying to do there, you're absolutely right. We're trying to keep the dilution to a minimum all the time, keep the cost down and, you know, Anyone who's seen me travel knows I travel low cost as much as possible. Um, you know, I'm always at the back of the airplane, mainly because the best seats are back there. You can sleep well. Um, but, you know, but at the same time, you do have to add value. And what we're really focused on on the FS is saying, look, your earning price is going up, but I don't want to be the guy who's waiting for it to get to $60. I've got to find ways of bringing that down way down so this project can get away as quickly as possible. As we just said in the last call, the benefit we have is we're already permitted. We have first mover advantage. I've got to make sure that Maduela benefits from that permit and, and can leverage itself up. So what can I do to make the project better that it needs as low a uranium price as I can get away with? To that end, you've appointed some uh, consultants on the feasibility study, which is yeah, great back news. Back in September. Yeah, um, SRK, SGS, um, have they started? What are they doing? Oh yeah, um, we appointed the guys who'd actually done the pre the PFS for us as well um, because I'd learned to work with them. They know how I wanted it to work. Um, it, I'm very hands-on on these things. Um, I'm running with a very small team there, so again, you know, to save costs, I, I sat down with the feasibility studies and I said I don't want the cost of thousands that you can throw at my project. I want just the key guys out of each company to work with me at this time. We will focus very much on the high level things that add value. Um, I mean, 20% of the feasibility study costs are actually just the costing at the end. That's a, that's a whole trail of people sitting back there waiting, drawings, everything. But we can deal with a small team of four or five guys now to pick out the things that are the high cost. So you look at it and you go, 50% of your cost is mining, 50% of the cost is processing and operating. You look at it from a capital cost, you know, of the $360 million capital, 270 is the process plant. You know where to focus. It's what can I do about that big number yeah. on the capital? What can I do on the operating costs to split them down as well and focus on the really big percentages? So what are the delivery points for them? Obviously, they, they come up with a big number at the end, but 
I guess there's a number of stages in between now and then. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you look at it from a process design, I've sat down with the technical team at the beginning and the first word I had uh, said to them, guys, look, here's our project. It works at just over $50 to get us a 20% return and, uh, and in the PFS. Given our, my view of where I think the market's going to go, we've got to cut that number down. Can we get this project to work at $45 uranium or lower? That's the benchmark, right? Let's think about everything that we did in the PFS and what can we do different? For example, the process plant in the PFS, silly example, but here you go. Pr process plant in the PFS is designed to be on top of the underground mine mm. because under the PFS, it optimizes the PFS for 21 years because that's where the majority of the ore is going to be mined from. Change of attitude, why am I optimizing for 21 years where the most important event is the repayment of the debt in the first seven years? So bring the process plant back to on top of the open pit mine instead saves me 15k of driving saves me about a dollar 20 per ton of rock delivered to the process plant right at the front where you need it because it's so, i've got so much upside there on expiration etc we can deal with that when we're generating cash but the most important thing pay down the debt make sure this project can get financed we'll worry about the next 14 50 years afterwards you know not my problem. <laughs> that, that, that's quite an interesting insight in terms of the your thought process around optimization, cash flows, and all of these um, risks that you're trying to mitigate against. Yeah, I mean, there's no point in having a great PFS if you can't build it. Exactly. <laughs> and, and 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 who knows with the cycles in in uranium and other commodities, you know yeah. what's going to happen. So deal with it today. I mean, this is all about. I mean, you got to think as well as the lenders think. You've got to present them a de-risked project. And they're gonna sit down and go through things like uranium pricing, hence the reason you want a contract, because that you take the pricing risk off the table for them. This, you know, why did we want the other, and we'll come back to the Niger thing in a minute, why do we want the rest of Miriam, the open pit? Because the deck guys understand open pit is less risk than underground mining. Well, that's their perception. In fact, in our case, probably pretty straightforward either. But the, so therefore, if you can make the debt period only open pit, that's a very simple conversation for them. They don't need to worry about it. And that's why getting the rest of the Miriam deposit tied back together was so important for us uh, and that we've achieved uh, or are achieving with the Nigerian government. Okay. So I, I guess there are a few stages involved um, here. Um, when, when, when is that optimization work finished with the... Um, you look, most of the key things we're working through now, I've got some test work in the UK on gravity that I'm getting pretty excited about, which we think will change the front end and reduce the cost, has the potential to remove calcite as well because of the density difference. So I'm hoping in a sort of net by June, uh, end of June, we'll have all that process design reset. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got things like the pilot plant to run through, the final costings, uh, to run through on that and a small amount of drilling needs to be done to firm up the molly because molly is becoming more important in our project as we bring down our, molly, our uranium price forecast. Right, and, and can you make announcements about these these stays? Uh, yes and no. We're going to have to figure out what we can actually do with it regarding the 43-101 rules because obviously I don't want to put out a, you know, a feasibility study just for one result. I need to give the whole thing. But you know where I can and give guidance, I certainly will do so. The Niger government recently, I think you used the word acquired, but have taken a, a 10% uh, position in the Maduela project. They already have 10 in terms yeah. of a carried interest, 
but they've taken 10. Explain to us how that's come about. Back in 2007, in the good old days of $130 uranium, um, that's when GovX acquired the licenses. Mm -hmm. There had been a historical cost on there. There'd been actually a, a small pre-feasibility study for six million pound deposit back then. Mm -hmm. So there was a value defined. Um, and we agreed as a company at that time to pay back 32 million euros. 25 million euros was paid back in 2007. So it was an outstanding 7 million euro payment that was still due um, to the Niger government which was due when we got the mining permit. Uh, there's a technicality in there, which we've described in our financials all the way, that effectively it's only payable when, no, at the time that the government gets that operating, we set up the operating company, they have to define how much they um, are going to have of that operating company. That had been delayed for quite a long time while the government figured out what it wanted to do. Um, and so we had deferred our payment to them as well. And obviously back to use of capital, you know, we didn't want to be forking out money uh, mm. yet until we had to. Um, so we sat down with the government and said, look guys, in reality, there's a situation here. We want to build this mine. You need us to build a mine because Comanac is due to close soon and Somaya will close after that. And 60 to 70% of your exports every year is uranium. Um, and we think it's in the best interest that we work together to make sure that this is achieved. Uh, one of the issues here is we can either give you 7 million euros or we can spend the 7 million euros um, on the project and make sure this project gets built. Um, and certainly the one thing I've always said about the Niger government is they're very pragmatic. Um, they understand what they ne needs to be done for their, their overall community. Um, and they said, yep, we think that's a pretty sensible approach. We would still like to get paid. However, what we're willing to do is convert that into equity for now. The government has taken stakes in the mining companies in the past. Um, they had changed that strategy because they've realized that buying into mining companies generally doesn't give them any dividends because people's selective accountancy stat approaches doesn't really work. So they had really already started to change that approach to reduce the stakes. But in this one, they saw it as a way of structuring it so that an equity stake was created. We have a, um, a right of first refusal to buy it, um, or we can find somebody else to buy it for them. So it's really a deferred payment to the government, but it's handled through equity. So of course it takes us off as a debt from our side as well. So it was constructive at the same time, you know, just to highlight it, they've, they've, we're changing the shape of the mining permit. So the mining permit will include the whole of the Miriam deposit. Back to my comment earlier about why Miriam is important. They will also give us back all our exploration permits as well. So they, were, they had come to the end of their final life and we would have to give them back to the state. We have already reapplied for them and actually we enlarge them. So we have, because you have to cut them as you move along. Right. And the government will give us those back as well. Um, so, you know, we, we, there's, a, there's a couple of other minor things in there, but, you know, it, it just shows the government wants Goviex to get ahead and build its mine. Uh, and they're doing everything they can to help us achieve that end. Right. Uh, again, it comes back to an earlier point we made about, you know, you're an exploration company. There is no revenue. It's, it's, a, it's always a sort of juggling act, I, I guess, and negotiations. And some governments work with you, some don't, um, you know, what I'm taking from this is you're, I think you used the phrase effectively debt-free and suggest there's other bits and pieces lying around. Yeah. 
Um, but you've wiped off 14 million of, of debt, which is great. You've yeah. increased the measured and indicated by almost six million pounds. Yeah. You've extended the permits or, or have them renewed for another nine years. So yeah. it gives you optionality. I mean, we, we again, we've talked in the past, you've got enough in the ground to be going on with and there's lots of upside there. But for now, it's a case of showing you know, the market, showing potential buyers that you know, you're fully permitted and that if they wanted a ready-made project, you're probably one of the very few in that position. Is that how you kind of see? Yeah, and I think the other side of it that we, we should take cognizance of is actually sovereign risk um, and why we are such strong proponents of Niger. Uh, as, a, as a country to operate in um, and I think this kind of highlights what I've always been saying is that working in Niger is actually a pretty easy place to operate uh, you know we've got a government here who's pragmatic and what they need to achieve and are willing to work with the companies that are there to make it happen you know whereas you know some people just paint Africa as a bad place to operate there are good countries and there are very bad countries and Niger happens to be one of the very, very good countries to operate in Okay, so you're, you're happy with that deal. It's the best deal you could have done. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think it's a good deal for both parties. I mean, and I think that's the important thing that came out of there. We, we both got what we needed to do. Um, you know, there is a deferment of future area taxes, and that's really why we're not, we're not debt-free, because, of course, we will have to accrue for the future area taxes. Um, but, no, it was a very good deal. We both, we, we both agree what we need to achieve and the two parties have pulled it together so what we're doing now is just pulling all those agreements together to get them signed and as soon as they are signed we'll announce that they are signed okay and then as a, if i may finish with just the latest i think it's an update on the uh, non-broker private placement uh we have touched upon this but i think is that it's closing or it's fully subscribed now it, it, it closed almost straight away i mean it was one of those where we went out looking to get a cornerstone investor which is what you do on these private placements and then within a week all our, all of our companies that Govan and myself had uh, particularly Govan had gone to to get the cornerstone all came in and wanted a piece of it um and we announced it uh, i mean i had to turn away at least one investor group who came in looking for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the placement and just said sorry it's i don't have space for you um and then we got a whole bunch of orders in as soon as we announced it and it, it was full uh, and we increased the size of it because we had so many orders by a small and again we had way more than we we didn't want to take that equity it was not good for dilution so we didn't take it we did increase a bit because we were trying to balance everything um and then the day after that we shut it so you know announced expanded and closed in three days Thank you very much for your time today, and thanks for you know going going through this. I'm sure we'll get some more feedback from the uranium investor crowd. They seem very passionate lot and very knowledgeable lot. Um, they're very excited to see what happens in the space. I think the Americans are excited about Section 232 and what that will do for them. Look forward to speaking to you soon, and uh, good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you very much for watching our video. We do aim to give you informed and intelligent information with which to make your investment decisions. So if you liked what you just saw, please give us a thumbs up. And if you wanna see more insightful, in-depth, honest, and unbiased interviews, then please click the subscribe button.
So thanks again for watching and we look forward to seeing you again soon.